today. We're going through the book of Matthew verse by verse, learning what Jesus taught us. Today we're going to talk about a wedding banquet and taxes. It's all red letters, folks. How many like when Jesus teaches you something? Amen. Today it's all about Jesus. Look at your neighbor and say it's all about Jesus. I tried to do that as a hashtag for this series starting like around February. It never caught on. You guys never shared it. Uh, if you want to do that, that would still be cool because we still have some uh, chapters left. Uh, it's hard to hashtag with an apostrophe, so you can't do it's. It's got to be it is all about Jesus. But one more time, somebody say it's all about Jesus. Amen. Here he's speaking to us in chapter 22, verse 1. He's going to give us a parable. Jesus told stories. This should not be boring. We should all get it from the youngest to the oldest. Let's go. Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. Oh, by the way, let me share this. In second service last week, I went through the rest of chapter 21. I got too excited with you guys last week, so you'll have to go back and listen to how I properly planned it, because actually the end of 21 needs to be in that sermon. And so with you guys, I apologize. We will not be going over it in the first service, but I see some of you switching back and forth all the time, so I know you can handle it. If you have not heard it and you're a first service only, and just in your mind, you've got to get that past. Go to the webcast, go to the, uh, the app, and you guys will get it from there. Let's start one more time. Jesus spoke to them again in parables. But how many of y'all noticed? Did anybody notice we skipped a section? Okay, nobody noticed. That's, that makes me feel good as a pastor. Uh, actually, last time I was here, we stopped at verse 32. So we did not go from verse 33 to verse 46 in chapter 21. If I was your professor, I wish I could give a, a little bit of a C right now to some of you. But uh, I, I guess I just have to move on and just take a little bit of the humility. Uh, Juan, front row folks, uh, Marcus, I thought you guys would have caught it. Nobody else caught it. We skipped a section. Okay, well, I still love you. Say, Pastor still loves me. Going back to chapter 22, verse 1. Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. I'm going to read it all the way through. Let's keep going. Verse 4. Then he sent some more servants and said, Tell those who have been invited that I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fattened cattle have been butchered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. How many know it's going to be a good party? How many like eating some good steak? I mean, this is going to be well prepared. Verse 5, but they paid no attention and went off one to his field, another to his business. The rest seized his servants, mistreated them, and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, the wedding banquet is ready. But those I invited did not deserve to come. Underline that. They did not deserve to come. So go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, the bad as well as the good. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. 
But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. He asked, how did you get in here without wedding clothes, friend? The man was speechless. Then the king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Talk about a penalty for not dressing up. Verse 14, everybody read this together. One, two, three. For many are invited, but few are chosen. Wow, what a powerful parable. Let's just review it. It's so simple. Everybody can get this. There's a king, and he's having a party for his son getting married. How many of you can fill in the blanks? You know enough of the Bible to understand who the king is. Who's the king? God who? The Father. Let's speak about the persons, all right? You're a human, but I don't just say you're a human. I call you by your name. God is the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Who is the king? Oh, somebody said God again. Can I give out C's today? Can I do that? I'm feeling like I need to. God is what he is in nature, like your human. I don't say human baptize or baptize, dedicate their child today. I don't say human. I say name. Do you understand that? Name. Who is the king? No, not Jesus. Jesus is not marrying. Uh, he's not giving himself away in marriage. He's not the father. Who is the king? The Father. I see Lauren wanted to come up and do another introduction for him. You want to take it for me? She's like, oh, my gosh, it's the Father. Are you guys not getting this? Well, maybe I need to take it a little bit slow. We have a God in this universe. The God of this universe has revealed himself in the scriptures as the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three divine persons. The Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Holy Spirit. From the very beginning, they said, let us make mankind in our image. When mankind was made, mankind was made male, female, to reproduce, to have children, a family unit of three. Plurality and unity. Is a child a human? Yes. Is a woman a human? Yes. Is a father, a man a human? Yes. But they have names, father. Mother, child, that's where the example ends. Some people like to say father is father of God, son is Jesus, son of God, and then Holy Spirit is mother of God. Don't take it to that next step. You'll get lost. That's not where you're supposed to go. The Holy Spirit is not mother God. The simple analogy is God is triune, three divine persons sharing the same nature, just like you share my nature. You share mine, I share yours. We are sharing humanity together. The king prepared a party for his son. Who is the king? The father. Who is the son? Jesus. There you go, class. Are you ready to keep going now? Okay, I love you. This is good. So... Jesus loves to tell parables and make it simple for us. It's okay if that was hard for you. Welcome to church. You'll learn. You'll get better at this. But it's meant to be simple. It wasn't meant to be complicated. You were meant to hear the story and go, ah, I know where the king is. It's the father. I know where the son is. That's Jesus. That's the guy telling me the story. And there's a wedding banquet coming up. And who's going to be the bride? Us, the church, the Christians. Why? Because we were created to be in union with God. 
through the Son in a relationship with him. So the Father's always been in heaven. Who came and created us in his image? The Son. Who's the one that walked with us in the garden? The Son. Who is the one that had a relationship with us as one would compare to a marriage? Not sexual, but intimate, loving, self-sacrificing. Who did that? The Son. But we divorced ourselves from him. Humanity, through Adam and Eve, sinned, got kicked out of the garden. And so God, the lover that he is, has been pursuing us, coming after us as a gentleman, never forcing us to be married to him. Aren't you glad you don't have to get married to Jesus? That's your choice. And what is hell? The place where people go who don't want to be with Jesus. You see, you get to make the choice about whether or not you want to be with Jesus. The only thing is you don't get to choose the consequence of that choice. So you can't say to your creator, I don't want to be with you and I want to go to a place where you're not, and it's like Disney World. No, sorry. You get to go where he's not, and you don't get what he gives. What does he give? Peace and joy and happiness and full of joy and glory beyond our own imagination. So where is hell? Where his presence, his joy, his peace, his happiness is, is, not, is not there. And so what does that feel like? What can we compare hell to on this earth? It is like excruciating pain where you gnash your teeth in outer darkness. And you can go there if you want. I don't want to go there. I want to go to heaven with Jesus. So when I hear a parable like this, I'm like, I want to go to the wedding banquet. I want to go to the party. How many of you want to go to the party? Okay, so why is Jesus telling us this story? Because he wants us to know there are people who have been invited, but they refuse to come. Is it because they haven't been invited? No, it's because they refuse to come. Oh, and I know there's always a smart person in our church. They're a thinker. Oh, but what about those who have never heard? Do they still go to hell? First of all, my friend, you're not them. Why are you thinking about it? You're hearing it right now, okay? That's number one. Whatever happens to Kuta Kinte's relatives in the jungles of Africa or all of our peoples before the gospel reached them, you know, reached my people in Europe, reached your people, you know, uh, you know, in Latin America, before the gospel reached there, guess what? That's not you. That's not affecting you today. You don't fall into that category. And number two, I think God is gracious. I think he rewards them according to the light they have. That's Romans chapter 1. As long as they are not violating his commands, in other words, they're not worshiping many gods, but they acknowledge there is a God. They may not know the name all about it, but they're following that path. They're moral. They're not murdering, stealing. God, I believe, is gracious to them. I have a book called Eternity in Their Hearts where it talks about missionaries going to Latin America, going to the jungles of Africa, going to unreached villages in Southeast Asia and finding tribes that were monotheist, moral people, and some of them even had traditions where their elders had dreams and visions that one day people would come and reveal who that God's son is. 
eternity in their hearts. It's a real book. Get it. It would encourage you if that's a real question. So number one, you're not in that position. Number two, it's okay to ask questions, but I think the answer is God is gracious. And then number three, number three, Jesus loves the whole world. I trust my Jesus. I just trust him. I trust him. But we're not them. We are like the people being invited. Now, who are those in the story that we should immediately point to, if you've been around for a while, and go, oh, I know who are the people who have been receiving Jesus' invitation. What group of people are they? What do we call them? The Jewish people. God's own people. And what does it say they do to those who are inviting them to the party? They start beating them up. They even kill some. The Bible says the Jewish people would, would persecute, murder, and kill their own prophets. As a matter of fact, when Babylon was coming to invade uh, Israel, uh, Jeremiah was given a word by God that, that the Babylonians will conquer you. They will take you into exile. But don't freak out. God will be with you. We read that passage yes, uh, last week. There were people that got upset with him. Threw him in a pit to die. Do you want to know who got him out of the pit? The Babylonians after they invaded the nation and go, hey, you were actually right. We're here now. Go about your way. You tried to help your people. Yeah, we were coming after them, and they didn't want to listen to you. Uh, we heard about you. Yeah, just go about your way. It's true. God spoke to the Israelite people. Listen to what he says. He says, tell those who have been invited, I've prepared my dinner, my oxen, my fat and cattle. How many know God's not a vegetarian? Amen. So that's okay if you want to be vegan and wear uh, skinny pants and do the crooked chicken. That's fine. But that's not what my God commanded you to do. It's good for exercise, but just remember, don't be weird, okay? Don't be weird about it and don't judge others because my God says it's okay to eat meat. Okay, and that includes your dog, by the way. Your dog is not your child. Can I tell you that right now? Some of y'all have said, I've got children in the house, and then you point to a dog. You have lost your mind. You have lost your mind. You need to stop calling that canine thing your child. That is a canine. You are a human. Children are not canines. Do you need more biology class? Now, our culture, for whatever reason, has picked out these things and said, we don't eat them. Okay, we don't eat them here. But there's other countries where they eat them all the time. Okay, so just get, it, just get over it in your mind. I'm human. I can't eat humans. Everything else is fair game. Everything else at the zoo is fair game. That's a worldview they don't want to tell you anymore because they want to tell you you came from the zoo. And so you can't eat all these other things. Now you can, all, you can just eat vegetables. But we don't believe you came from the zoo. We believe you came from God, so everything in the zoo is fair game. The geese in my backyard that keep making a mess, I want, to, I want to look up a recipe how to cook geese. Does anybody know the kind of geese I'm talking about? They just make messes. I want to eat them. There's nothing wrong with that desire. There's nothing ungodly about that desire. There's nothing wrong with seeing a fattened calf going, come on, let's eat. There's nothing wrong with that desire. That's in the example. As the Bible says in the book of Isaiah, when the kingdom of God comes, we will eat of the finest meats and drink of the finest wines. We won't get drunk and we won't become gluttons, but we'll enjoy the food that's been prepared before us. It is after that meal that God then restores us back to the Garden of Eden, lion lays with the lamb, and yes, sad to say, we'll all become vegetarians again. 
I know some of you will miss your lechon, you'll miss your bacon, all of that, but you'll be all right, okay? You will be fine. But we will have a thousand years to rule and reign with Christ and to rejoice and to eat meat and all of those things. But after that, it will go to the state of the Garden of Eden. So he prepares all of this. They seize these servants and kill them. Now look at what it says, verse 7. Please highlight that because here Jesus gives you a little bit of an understanding of his father. Who is the king? The father. What's going to happen on judgment day? Here's a taste of it. The king was enraged. The father's going to be enraged on judgment day. He will send his army, his army of angels on judgment day, and destroy those murderers and burn their city. That sounds like Armageddon, doesn't it? As Jesus is coming to bring the wrath of God, the Father. Now notice this, verse 8. Remember I told you to highlight this? It says the, bed, it says the wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not what? Deserve to come. How do you earn the right to come in a based uh, a salvation based on grace or an invitation that you can never pay for. They didn't have to pay for this. This wasn't a conference. So how do you earn something that's for free, in other words? How do you deserve something that's for free? You receive it with gratitude and appreciate it. How many know if you give something to your children and they don't appreciate it, they don't deserve it? They can't earn it. You know, let's say Christmas comes around and the kids get spoiled and they get in those little cars that can go about five miles an hour. You know the kinds of things I'm talking about. Well, the child who maybe gets that car and says, it's not the right color. I don't like this model. How many know they don't deserve it? How do you deserve something that's free, that's a gift? By appreciating it, by receiving it. So they did not appreciate the wedding banquet. Now, I just want you to go up just a little bit more to verse, I believe, 6. And I want you to see the kind of excuses, well, verse 5, rather, that they made. So they're being invited, but why don't they come? They pay no attention and went off. One, to sell crack. Did you have, did you have to go out and sell drugs that day? Is that what it says, yes or no? No, it says one, two is what? His field. He had to go take care of stuff. Another two is what? His business. I wonder what excuses people make today not to come to church. Are most people not coming to church today because they want to go smoke crack? They want to go murder their neighbor? No, because most people who don't come to church today, they're what? Good people. I'm a good person. I'm going to my job, pastor. I don't have time for this today. I'll come next week. Or you know what? My children don't like sitting in your service, pastor. I, I don't want to bring them today. I'm going to go next week. I'll come Christmas. I'll come Easter, etc. You see, good people go to hell because they're not God's people. See, God's people put God first. God's people take the invitation. You might say, well, we're all God's creation. True, but we're all not God's sons and daughters. If you believe that you're God's child and you're not born again, you don't believe the Bible. Jesus said in John chapter 3, unless a person is born again, they cannot see the kingdom of God. Everyone born is not born a child of God. That's why you have to be born again. We understand why people want to do baptisms because they want to, for children, because they kind of want to rush that process along. But you can only baptize someone who confesses Jesus as Lord. 
Now, thankfully, as we learned today, that children who die before professing Jesus as Lord, they're treated the same as those who have not heard the gospel. God is gracious. God is kind. But listen to me, my friends. What you put before God can be the idol that damns your soul to hell. The thing that you say is more important than God can be the very thing Satan uses to distract you from the things of God. Another great book is by C.S. Lewis called The Screwtape Letters. And The Screwtape Letters is a fictional story based on this premise. How do demons talk amongst themselves to deceive us? That's the whole premise of the book. And so in the book, there's an older demon, more mature, teaching a younger demon how to be good at his deception in this man's life. And so the demon begins to say things like this. Keep him busy. Make him feel important. Have his family and his job always come first. Then He'll think he doesn't need church. His mind is occupied. Oh, C.S. Lewis was a genius. C.S. Lewis said, but don't pull him totally away from religion. Keep him in religion so that whenever he questions why I'm here, what do I do after I die, all of that, he can have a little scratch. Bring him to a lukewarm church that gives him soft answers to scratch that little itch so he can just go on. Don't let him go deeper. Boy, I just wonder how many demons come to us and tell us, stay busy. Focus just on your family. Keep thinking about what you can do with this extra money. You don't need to go to life group. You don't have to read your Bible. You're a good person. I wonder how they lull us to sleep with these temptations of selfishness and greed and pride. And it's not big bites. It's not big pieces of it. It's little pieces of pride. It's little bite size, like those little Snickers. You know what I'm talking about. Halloween's coming up. Those are the most tempting, aren't they? Because if you just started with the whole Snickers, you'd probably be satisfied at the end, but you eat a little one, oh, it's just a little one. Then you eat another little one, and then you, you say, oh, I can eat another little one. Before you know it, you might eat six or seven of those things, which are greater than the one snicker you might have eaten all along. Are you listening? People are smart when they're selling you those things, aren't they? It's just a little one. It's just a, it's just a little sin, Pastor. It's just a little OT, a little overtime. Pastor, it's just an old relationship I'm going to try to spark up again. I'll bring them to church. I'm not a bad person. I'll, I'll get to that later. You see, the king was enraged by that behavior because Jesus is either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. He deserves us dropping everything going, I'm, I'm actually invited to this? You see, that should have been their reaction. The king invited me? Oh, I'm coming. I'm, 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 you, I'm right now? I'm coming right now. Can I come now? Can I come early? What do I bring? You see, the heart of the people, especially we know that this is the Israelite people, should have been ultimate gratitude. You mean the king who delivered us out of Egypt has invited us to his son's wedding? I'm coming. You mean the king who, who met with, with our Moses on top of a mountain and, and gave us his law, which has made us the greatest society of the ancient world? That king has invited us. I'm coming. But instead, the Bible says, they were not deserving to come. Go on down, please, to verse 10. He says, so let's go out to the streets. Oh, come on, somebody. 
If I start crying right now, come on. It's because I've been out to the streets and invited people to come. He said, man, let's go out to the streets. Let's go gather whoever we can get, the bad as well as the good. Some people are in clubs right now. Come on, somebody. So, some, some are doing stuff they shouldn't be doing. You get them too. Don't you go out there and judge by their appearances. Don't you let the one with the tattoo scare you or the guy that got tear dripping down from his eyes like a gang member. Don't let them scare you. Don't let the LGBT crowd, don't let them scare you. You go out to those streets. You go to Belmont and Clark. You go to Pilsen. You go down there to where City Hall is. You get them all. You find the bad as well as the good. And you tell them, you can come. Now, you know what that applies to? That applies to us, the non-Jews. So the Jews had their chance. They blow it. Now we get a chance to come in. Does God forget about them in the story of the Bible? Absolutely not. They get another chance because they've been through so much. God is merciful to the Jewish people, and we ought to always pray and love them and preach to them. But we also have to remind them, I'm going to the party. (laughs) Are you? Amen. I got the invitation to the king of Israel, to his wedding banquet. Are you coming? And the Bible literally says this. We're to make them jealous. So when you see that Jewish friend of yours, you can say, Shalom Aleichem. Everybody say, Shalom Aleichem. That means peace upon you in Hebrew. And then we can say, hey, man, you got the invitation to the Mashiach's party? To the Messiah's party, I'm going. I'm a Gentile. I know I shouldn't be there eating lechon, being uncircumcised and all crazy. I know I shouldn't be there, but I got my invitation and I'm coming. I'm coming to this party, man. I want to see you there. I want to see the Goldbergs there. Come on. I want to see all the Jewish jewelers there in Jesus' name. I want to see all my Jewish friends there. But man, you got to want to come like me. Because look at verse 11. When they all got there, Jesus starts checking on clothes. Now, people with maybe well intentions at some point in church history thought that this applied to your actual clothes you wore here today and started making dress codes. And I don't know where men started dressing like women and being called father, long robes, uh, you know, bedazzled stuff. I don't know how that got into the church, but it should not be there. Jesus was the son of a carpenter, and last time I knew, carpenters didn't dress like the Pope. Are you listening? I mean, let's just be honest. You're not wearing the frills and the chills as you're cutting stuff down and knocking it up there, you know. So somehow we went from being dressing like fishermen and carpenters to, like I said, having on purple robes with medallions and bedazzled, rather, and sparkles and all of that. But that's not the application here is your dress code. You are to dress appropriately. You shouldn't dress in vanity or for perversion's sake. So just dress appropriately in a way where no one is distracted by what you're wearing. Be comfortable. And if you like dressing up, that's awesome. Uh, That's great. You're welcome here to do that, and you should find a job that you feel comfortable in. And sometimes you do have to dress up at your job, and maybe that's something you could talk to your boss about. But nothing here has to do with that. The clothes that the man is not wearing are the clothes of Christ. You see, at this time, the king knew that there were people that couldn't afford to always dress nicely when they came into his palace. And so you know what a king would have? A king would have a wardrobe just waiting for you. 
Kind of like you might have seen in the movies or experienced yourself. I've only seen it in the movies where you appear at a restaurant and you don't have a coat or something like that. Gentlemen, you probably uh, have seen this as well as I do in some movies. And what do they say? Hey, we have a coat here for you. We have a coat here. Put this on. You're good. Go on in. The idea was the wardrobe was already provided. This man didn't do what he was supposed to do, and yet he still came. Now the theologians start to discuss this. Who is this man? Is it Judas? Is it Judas that is literally with everybody else at the party and at the last minute he's going to get kicked out and thrown to hell because he doesn't want to do what the other disciples are doing? Could be. We don't know. Does this stand for Satan? That Satan all along could have been in the party, but Satan chose pride and clothed himself in arrogance. And now Satan will be cast out with all of his followers. Very much could be. Could these be the lukewarm Christians of all history, like we'll read about in the book of Revelation, like a collective group represented in a man, like how the bride is represented in one woman, us, the church. Here, the man of rebellion is the representation of humanity without God, the fallen humanity that doesn't want to change. It could be any of those things, but there's one thing we need to understand for sure. If we do not let Christ come upon us and give us his spiritual wardrobe and transform our life from the inside out with his righteousness, we will be tied hand and foot and thrown outside into darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Because whoever that's referring to, that next part of that verse is a serious warning. So the bottom line is, you better get your righteousness from Christ. Go to 2 Corinthians, please, chapter 5, verse 21. Where do we get clothed in God? Where do we find our clothes that are appropriate for this wedding? Do we make our own clothes? Does a fairy godmother come like in Cinderella and do it for us? No, the Bible says we get our clothes from Christ. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, verse 21. Are you getting something out of this today? Come on. I hope that you are. Everyone can be invited. Everyone is invited. Everyone can come. And everyone here at the sound of my voice can be clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Look at chapter 5, verse 21. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the what? The righteousness of God. Let's say it again. The righteousness of God. So come one, come all to the wedding banquet that the Father has prepared for his son. You are invited to come. I know you may not have anything to wear. I don't. I don't have anything to wear to such an occasion. But because of Christ, I can share in his righteousness. And when you take the example of us being the bride and him being the groom, wouldn't that just be like a good groom to take out his fiance to go and get that dress that she needs if her family couldn't afford it or for whatever reason that needed to be done? Wouldn't that just be like a good groom to provide for his fiance? Wouldn't that just be like our God to provide for us? And so when you look at the story, we're not only the guests, we're also the bride. We're not only the bride, but we're also 
also the guests. Jesus plays on that because he wants us to see both sides of the lessons there. He wants us to see how loved and treasured we are and that the wedding is actually for us. And then he wants to see how responsible we need to be. We have to desire to come and want to be there and participate and help invite everybody else to come. Because as we go back to the notes, that phrase, for many are called, many are invited, but few are chosen, will be the anthem of heaven and hell. Because everybody in heaven or hell will have gone that way. No one will be able to say, if they're in hell, I was not invited. No one. And no one who's in heaven will, not be, will be able to say, I didn't choose to be here. Now, sometimes people like to ask the question, what about God's predestination? How does God know who's invited and the ones, uh, the ones that are invited that actually want to come? How does he do that? Does he make us want him? Does he fatalistically change our desires so that we become willing to be with him? Is that what happens? No. Here's what I think happens. I think God in all of eternity makes the plan or made the plan, and he knew who would chose, choose him. And those he knew would choose him, he prepared the place for them. Now, you might say, well, then he already knows who's going to hell. Yeah, that's true. He already knows who's going to hell. But those who are going to hell are still going there because they have chosen. Now, one last thing somebody might bring up. They might say, well, if God knew somebody would choose to go to hell, why would he ever create him then? Here's the one thing that we don't like to hear. Because he's God and you're not. So make the right choice. Here's the one thing I always say as a preacher. You did not have a choice to be created, but you are. How many of you believe you exist right now? How many of you believe you exist? So that's pretty much done. There's no point in arguing about it now. It's already done. You exist. So now, whatever you do in your existence won't catch God by surprise. That's true. He does know the end from the beginning. But when you get to the end, you will only be able to say one of two things. You'll say it like Frank Sinatra. I did it my way. As you go right to hell. Or you'll say, I did it his way. It's our choice. Even though he knows our choice, it's still our choice. Can I hear an amen? Amen. 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 Last scripture before we go today. How many are going to remember where we leave off today to, be, to, re, to remember for next week? Maybe read ahead so you guys can catch on with what we're doing here. Talking about paying taxes. You all ready to switch into that gear? Switch into that. That's like burning up the gears right there. Talking about a party, a wedding feast, and now taxes. You know, taxes is something that even existed in Bible times. And let's look at this story quickly. Verse 15. Then the Pharisees went out and laid plans to trap Jesus in his words. See, they just always looking for a reason to make him look dumb. They sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. Those were people from King Herod's house. Together, or excuse me, teacher, they said, we know that you are a man of integrity and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. How may know they're buttering them up? You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are. Tell us then, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? See, why are they doing that? Because the moment Jesus would say something like, oh, it's not good to pay taxes, man, now they got a reason to arrest him, a reason to kill him. You remember, that's what they've been looking for since way back in the story. 
And eventually they're going to find that reason through Judas betraying Jesus. But right here, they're trying to get him trapped. Should we pay the taxes or not? But Jesus, knowing their evil intent, said, you hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Don't you know who I am? Show me the coin used for paying the tax. They brought him a denarius, and he asked them, whose inscription is this? Or whose image is this, and whose inscription is this? Caesar's, they replied. Then he said to them, let's read it back, one, two, three. So give back to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. When they heard this, they were amazed, so they left him and went away. What can we pull out of this? Well, number one. If you're using somebody's social security number that's not yours and you're trying to make this thing happen on tax season, you're in sin. Stop doing that. That's called lying. Okay? Don't do that. So get right with your government. Get right with the place you need to be. We are compassionate towards immigrants here. All of us came from another country, unless you are a Native American, and we're sorry about what happened to you. Uh, But, you know, we're all here now. we got to get along. There's a government here, and we've got to learn to pay our taxes. So number one, don't do it illegally. Number two, all of us who are legal citizens, you have it in your rights to pay as little as possible as long as it's legal. Are you listening? So it gets quiet like that. You all just want to pay as much as possible? Have you ever gone to your tax person? I want to pay the highest amount. Don't look for any deductibles. Don't look for any of that. Just give me the highest amount. What is it, 33%? I'm paying it. That's why I'm like, you know, you're like tax the rich. And I'm like, you ain't never been rich before. Talk to a rich person. A rich person don't like taxes either, friends. And I'm not here to get all political on you. I'm just here to say, let's just be honest. All of us want to try to find the best way to pay our taxes. That's okay. Just do it honestly. And that's why I think the tax code needs to be changed dramatically so it can be across the board the same. And maybe some things for those who are in certain brackets. We'll be here all day on that. But the point is, number one, don't do it illegally. Number two, be honest. And then number three, what do we get out of this? Not only do you give to Caesar what is Caesar's, you give to God what is God's. So what is God's 10%? Now I've got uh, some things maybe that I'll, uh, uh, Andrew, let me ask you to get this from me in first, uh, for second service. But I started doing a side hustle because I've got, I always tell people, I've got a beer budget but champagne taste. So as a father of six, you guys have taken care of my family. They have a college fund. All of these things are happening. But there is no boat fund in that budget. Uh, there, uh, you know, I even had one guy tell me, I don't want any more kids. I want a motorcycle. And some dudes think, a lot, think like that. I told the dude, I said, I don't have hobbies. I have kids, okay? But they call it a midlife crisis. I call it a midlife cherry on top. I made it this far. Praise God. I'm getting something nice. But I can't do it for my salary because I've already budgeted it up. So I had to go out and do a side hustle. Somebody say side hustle. So I started Ubering and Lyft, and it's fun for me. So if I ever pick you up, don't laugh at me. Just play it cool and let me take you to where you need to go. I already had one person that visited the church. Like, oh, my gosh, it's you, Pastor. Is everything okay? Are you all right? Like, like as if I was going to tell her, I'm sleeping in the back of my truck now. My wife kicked me out. I'm just trying to make money. I'm trying to save up to get to the Motel 6. Can you give me a tip, please? 
No, man, we had fun. She was being nice, too. She was just, like, so shocked, you know. But anyways, I looked at my earnings. I looked at my earnings. So I want to make just a little under 1000 a week, okay? That's all I want to do, just, just 1000 a week. So, so I looked at my earnings for Lyft. I made uh, 371 in my earnings, and tips were $54. Over 10% of my chunk of earnings is tips for a total of 431 Are you listening to me, y'all? Over 10%. Somebody say over 10%. Then I went to... Uh, Uber to look at how that was because I do both. You know, if I'm going to do, I'm going to jump all in, right? I'm doing both. Oh, I'm going to start using my truck bed to start doing this other thing. Well, if you need something moved, I'm going to put it in my truck bed. I'm going to hustle, man. I'm going to tell you this right now. If my side hustle is stronger than your first hustle, you got a problem. Better catch up. Don't get mad at me when I come up in my truck and boat and you say, all them pastors, they just make a lot of money. They take No, I mean, I wouldn't work for that while you were still looking at me. You were still deciding what you were going to do. Look at this right here. $273 earnings, my tips were $32, over 10% again. Do you know that you're not required to give a tip? But over everything I made in both of those platforms, one is a five-star and one is a 4.98. One person I don't think liked me talking about Jesus as we got into that conversation. I don't bring it up, but if they do, I go there, and I don't think they liked it. But that was my one three-star. Do you know that over 10% of my finances right now is coming from tips? Do you know how much God told me to give to him? 15%. You see, I believe there's a principle of giving and receiving in the Bible. You've got to learn how to give to God what is God's. One of the greatest privileges that I had is that I got to give more to missions. So 10% always goes to the Lord. But I asked him, I said, how much should I give in offerings? And God said, I want you to give 5%. So that means 5% of everything I make goes right into the mission field. 15% total, and God said, start there, and we'll talk later. I'm like, all right, boss, you got it, and already I can see the favor, and I talked to some of the other Uber drivers, and I saw that they were only making 2 to 5% on tips. I'm almost 15% on tips. Are you listening to me? You see, God is faithful. You give to God what is God's. He's already given you your breath. Now give it back to him in praise. He's already given you your body. Now give it back to him in service. Come on, somebody. He's already given you all that you have right now. Give it back to him and then let him know what you can. He'll let you know what you can keep. I say, God, it all belongs to you, my family, my children, my dreams, this church. And, Lord, you tell me what I'm supposed to use for your glory, what I'm supposed to keep. And, obviously, he's not going to let us beg for bread. He's not going to let us go broke. Amen? I mean, it's one thing if we're suffering persecution. It's another thing if you can't get up on time. Amen? Let's get radical for God and prosper in this world and show them. We're not afraid to pay our taxes and be blessed at the same time. If you believe it, would you stand up and give it up for Jesus? Hallelujah. Band and altar workers, would you come, please? Second service coming in hot, man. It's like a party back there, huh? Oh, Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your goodness. How many today are thankful you're invited to the wedding banquet? With every head bowed and eyes closed, if you're here today and you haven't received that that invitation, as I'm starting to pray right now, you are welcome to come forward and find someone to pray with you. If you want to bring up a family member or a friend, you can start doing that even now because God wants you at that party. The Father wants you there. The Son has paid the price for you. 
You belong at that wedding banquet. Those of you who know you're going, would you just raise up your hands with me and thank the Lord? Come on, you can clap even if you want. I'm just helping you. Come on, somebody. How many are thankful you're going to that party? Now ask the Lord to keep you strong so you don't get distracted. That you don't get busy with your business. That you don't let those things take over your life. That you don't let your children become an excuse not to pray or go to church. That you don't become what they call a good person. My friends, a good person can't go to heaven unless they're a godly person. you got to be God's person. A few more moments right now. If you want to come up for prayer, you're welcome up here. No one here, no one here is against you coming. We want you to come. It doesn't matter what you were doing five minutes ago or before church. We want you here. Jesus wants you here. How about some of you right now that maybe you're here and you're struggling financially. Would you start by giving God's what is God's? That you'll give it to Him. Maybe you haven't been faithful in your tithes and offerings. Maybe you don't take that serious. Would you do that now and just say, Lord, forgive me. Help me to be a giver, Jesus. Help me to be a person of integrity. Lord, I pray for your will to be done in our lives. This is not a get-quick, quick-rich scheme. But Lord, you do want to bless us. You want to favor us. If there's anyone here that needs help on their taxes or becoming acclimated to the American culture, talk to these leaders. They'll you know, give you the encouragement to talk to the right people. But I want to tell you here today, God's blessings are greater than your worldly possessions.